Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. When I was um, writing my book, Future Proof Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration, I came to a point, a kind of fork in the road, where a lot of senior leaders were thinking about future of work. And I was fascinated by what companies were doing and equally fascinated and enthusiastic about what the leaders themselves were doing to prepare themselves for their own futures. And I looked around and that was you know, two years ago, really, that I, I was writing it. And I looked around at companies and thought, nobody is doing anything. They are just <laughs> not moving fast enough. They'll never go to this. Fl-. I mean, I was pretty cynical. And so I wrote the book for individuals, really, um, but have consulted with companies. And, you know, fast forward to now, and I don't have to sell that in, that the world's changing, <laughs> and then, you know, and that we need to be, you know, more adaptable. So it's amazing to see uh, what, what's gone on. And- Diana is the author of the book Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Accelerations, a book and online course about how to adopt more agile mindsets and practices to prepare for success in a fast-changing world. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. Very excited to talk about technology, to talk about diversity, to talk about how to future-proof organizations and people with Diana. How are you, Diana? Fantastic. It's really wonderful to be here, Enrique. It's, um, I'm so proud of all the things you've created. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with me. And of course, for for how generous you've been with, with Hacking HR and the community. I think over the past couple of years since we first connected and you've been in several of our events. So it's been, it's been quite a journey, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And HR has changed so much even in just that short time. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, you know, some of our conversations, which probably are the same conversations you've been having with people from all over the world about the future of HR, the future of work, how to prepare for for the things that were, that, that were supposed to be happening in, in, in years uh, into the future. And now it seems that everything has been accelerated pretty quickly over the past uh, six or seven months. Well, I have to tell you a dirty little secret. When I was um, writing my book, Future Proof Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration, I came to a point, a kind of fork in the road, where a lot of senior leaders were thinking about future of work. And I was fascinated by what companies were doing and equally fascinated and enthusiastic about what the leaders themselves were doing to prepare themselves for their own futures. And I looked around and that was, 
you know, two years ago, really, that I, I was writing it. And I looked around at companies and thought, nobody is doing anything. They are just <laughs> not moving fast enough. They'll never go to this. Fl-. I mean, I was pretty cynical. And so I wrote the book for individuals, really, um, but have consulted with companies. And, you know, fast forward to now, and I don't have to sell that in that the world's changing and that, you know and that we need to be you know more adaptable so it's amazing to see uh what what's gone on in the last year and it before even the pandemic people were starting to think about those kind of things i really do think that that there was a lot of talk about how to be more adaptable yeah yeah absolutely and that's uh that's been the the name of the game in the past seven months because we got we got into this thing of of coronavirus and it, it it's a you know it's a first for everybody who who you know who's not more than 120 years old <laughs> <laughs> you know so so we 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 went, we were thrown into this reality and companies didn't really have a clear idea at the very the very first day of how to operate but quickly I think it was you know in in a couple of weeks, they were already turning things around and they were already sending people to work from home and re- revamping their processes to, to make sure that they could respond to the way things were, um, were working. So to me, that speaks a lot about two things, actually. One is a little bit of how unprepared we are for things like this, or we were, mm. and hopefully we can prepare better. But second, how resilient we are to change when we are when we have the crisis like right in our faces, right? When we are like, okay, I can't delay my action anymore. I have to, it's either now life or death. You know, it's, yeah. it's you know, I cannot continue postponing this thing. Yeah, absolutely. And from what I've seen from companies and, and even individuals who felt like it was going to be painful, I think, you know, it has been painful. So that's one of the reasons people postpone. They're like, oh, so much disruption. <laughs> you know, it'll be too hard, people will be upset about it. And and yes, to all of the above. And yet, I think what we've been able to see is also the positives, the real experimentation um, that came out of it for companies, where they stopped thinking, oh, we're going to have to do this because things are changing, to, um, you know, rather than suffering through disruption, they're really capitalizing on disruption, yeah. uh, disruption and thinking, you know, how can I, instead of bouncing back, like, how can I bounce forward and um, maybe even leapfrog some of the practices that, that we thought we would slowly build up to in terms of flexible work, in terms of technology enablement, in terms of data, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's no option now. And I'm going to use this as a segue to sort of to formally begin our, our conversation about future-proofing organizations. And how do we do that? How, what do we need to do at the individual level, meaning the employees of the organization? What do we need to do as an organization, meaning its policies, its structure, its, um, its culture, to be able to you know, survive and hopefully thrive if things like this happen again? Well, my book was about the age of acceleration. And the, and the problem is not just something happening again. I think we're all attuned now to the possibility of a big disruption. Mm-hmm. Although I guarantee you, we won't be able to call what it actually will be in the future. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but 
what we're not really accepting or as attuned to is the idea of accelerated change. And the negative is also true in the sense that people are disrupted. I see now when, um, when companies even have been really resilient, that people are having some fatigue now. Yeah. Um, and, and that is pandemic. I was thinking about it for myself and I thought, you know, I'm trying to be mindful. And, but then I realized I can't go anywhere. So I haven't actually taken a vacation for nine months. I haven't taken any days off <laughs> at all. And, yeah. you know, there's no kind of cues like school's out. We can go somewhere because we can't go anywhere. Um, so I do think that, that that is an issue. It brought wellness as a pillar of future-proofing um, you know, up the ladder for organizations. In my book, I talk a lot about resourcing yourself um, through your network of your professional network and the loyalty that flows to that uh, and gives you a voice and also your um, just your resourceful network, you know, your friends and your family and your health and all those things, which I found after interviewing a hundred people were, were really um, pivotal to people being able to take chances and take risks. So I think that in organizations and also in, in human beings that being thrown out of our comfort zone um, can make us cower in fear. And those people who have, always pushed a bit outside their comfort zone, be it um, into a new market or a culture in a company of experimentation with um, you know, innovation cycles, which are measured and considered. And similarly in the book for Future Proof, you know, people who think about what's the future, what kind of skills can I build towards that? Um, what kind of Uh, experiments can I take to see if that's going to be something that's useful or not useful. And that sort of constant iteration, it can be exhausting for companies and people. And we have to develop new muscles to do it and new resourcefulness um, to really continue that process uh, on an ongoing basis. And I I actually don't think people are really ready. They're like, we're going to get a vaccine and then we're going to all go back to normal. And, you know, some people in organizations have some changes that take advantage of this situation, but they're not very many people are like, it's just going to be changing change and change and change. And you got to get used to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think one of the, uh, the, the capabilities, if you will, that I've heard the most from, from, the, from the interviews, from the HR leaders that I've been speaking with is resilience, right? Mm. And, and to build that capability as an organization and uh, as um, in, individually, because we're going through COVID-19 now and there might be a second wave, which seems to have already started in many places. And we know that anything that resembled that things were like, you know, how things were before, it's not going to be around for, you know, maybe 18 more months, but in five years from now, it could be something else, you know, or in three years from now, it could be something else. You know, it could be technology. It could be, you know, a, a, a financial fallout, who knows? And this idea of building resilience to make sure that we can cope with all those changes that you're talking about is just so powerful. So how, how is this concept of resilience then, related to future-proofing organizations? It's huge. Uh, The the resilience that individuals have 
Um, I think that it, they're all looking for a sense of belonging in companies. Uh, they're all looking for a sense of relevance and a sense of um, curiosity and contribution. And companies are looking for that too. Um, and so it's really about people waking up to the idea that they are going to have more than one career. One career is not enough for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they need to take a certain amount of agency that is almost outside their company. You know, it doesn't mean that they have to leave their company. It's just about, you know, if you know you're going to your entire lifetime, you're going to, you know, conquer one mountain, then of course you can just keep planning for that. But, you know, the reality is that we're going to be having to scale the seven peaks on, you know, all <laughs> continents and each one will take a slightly different strategy and we'll have to adapt in certain ways. And, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of resilience, I've gone into so many companies and um, spoken to them about, you know, what things they can do in terms of um, looking out at the future. So some people, especially now, you know, if you're afraid, like you're, peripheral vision just narrows to a pinpoint. You're like, eh, I feel like a little hamster. If I just, I don't know, keep like updating my LinkedIn profile, <laughs> I'll find a job. Or if I keep my head down, I'll keep my job. So it's really difficult, but being able to open that, your vision up and think about 10 years from now, think about what do you want to create when the pandemic's over? Well, who do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? Yeah. Um, so creating a vision for the future, um, understanding what your combination of assets are, um, and really building your network and a voice and you know, your own persona is something that I think counteracts that fear that people have, that they're at the mercy of external forces that they can't control. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one, one, one concept that, I, that I, I've been hearing more and more recently is this idea of employability, which I think it's, you know, very related to, to uh, you know, future-proofing yourself and employability as in building the skills that you need to be employable, whether in your own organization or any other organization, instead of, instead of just focusing on trying to build that security around your existing job. Uh, because yeah. things, things can absolutely change. You know, your company may go out of business and hopefully not, but you know, that, that, that may happen here in the US, one out of every five small businesses shut down in the past seven months. So, you know, I, and I think, uh -huh. be before this whole thing happened, InnoSight looked at S&P 500 companies, really big companies, and the average length uh, lifespan of a company went from 60 years, mm -hmm. um, you know, decades ago to they're projecting in 2037 before COVID, um, 12 years for yeah. a company. So, you know, it's not your fault. It's not, well, maybe it is the company's <laughs> fault that they go to business, but yeah, let's blame it on COVID. But, you know, you really, if you're 12 years, you're going to work for 60. That's yeah. five companies right there. So yeah. you, it's really incumbent upon you to be thinking about, okay, how can I stay current? You know, what is the next thing that I can be doing? If this company isn't going to be around forever, then, you know, I still need a job. So I totally agree being forever employable. And I say employable because I work with senior executives who, you know, they have gone to a, um, gotten a massive amount of success and now they are interested in working on boards and giving back and, 
you know, making huge contributions. And I don't know that they're employable per se, but they're really want to continue to be relevant and contribute. And, you know, I, and I think that that's speaks to a lot of people yeah. um, and, to, you know, uh, if not employable, then um, useful. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I, one thing that I ask very often is, when you talk to somebody and you show them all the trends of how the future may look like, I mean, you can't be certain. I think, I think only a handful of people in the world knew for, for sure that a pandemic could change the face of the earth you know, so quickly. Many of us, including myself, we have been talking about the role of technology, demographic shift, and globalization as the drivers of change. Never did I think yeah. that a, a pandemic was going to be changing us so dramatically. But you talk to somebody and you tell them, these are the trends changing everything. And they don't always believe that those things are going to happen, right? Because they are so used to their little, you know, short-term horizon that they can't see beyond that. So I, my question, the question that I ask is, how can I convince somebody that they need to be learning all the time? They need to learn outside of, the, of their areas of expertise. And one of the most common answers that, that I've gotten is, well, you, you have to tell them that either they do that or maybe in five years from now, not only will not, will, uh, they, they won't have a job, but they may not be able to find a job uh, or yeah. they may not be able to stay relevant if they want to be entrepreneurs and whatnot. So it's this idea that you're talking about of being employable, future-proof yourself, but also learning to make sure that you have a place, you know. Okay. You can be the bad cop and I'll be the good cop because I spent a lot of time, a lot of time thinking about that question, thinking, you know, why is it that in particular, right? I talking to CEOs and people, they're so miserable and they just hang on to their job forever saying how awful it was. And I was thinking, why do people do that? And from my perspective, it's about finding an easy way to start and not so much the, you know, you, you get some start about like, and then maybe you have no job and people's like fear, like their reptilian brain starts going off and, and they hunker down more. Um, and sometimes it's, it's a matter of, you know, fear or loss of prestige or that sense that, um, they don't want to fail uh, and, and people want to be safe, but making the first step super small for people to experiment, I think is to me what I've found is, is the best. And I started a course because I think community is also something that yeah. is truly the future of work, coming together online as it happens in communities where people can have uh, you know, psychologically safe spaces to experiment, to try out maybe, you know, somebody who's a banker who says, you know, I really want to do AI and all their banker friends are like, oh, that's so lame. What are you thinking? Being able to come together with other senior people and say, you know, I really, I'm thinking about doing this. What if I, and have other people come back and say, yeah, great. Why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? Why don't you put your CV up as, and completely rebrand yourself, um, I think has been an amazing process to watch because there are a lot of people all over the world who are thinking, I do want to do something new. Yeah. I'm scared as hell about five years from now when you know my job may not exist, but where do I start? So that's actually why I wrote the book because people kept asking me that question. Yeah, I, I, do, I do agree that 
breaking it down into into something that people can can manage uh, and and can actually make happen you know i i always use the example of running because i'm a runner and and people always ask me you know do you want to do you, do you always want to run and my answer is no you know i love running but not always do i want to run but if i think that i don't want to run i'm not going to do it so the to me the the the, the most difficult you know, uh, a step in the process when you don't want to do something is breaking the, the initial inertia. And that to me related to this idea of learning means you got to start doing something, you know, this, this smaller pieces, you know, you do, you learn a little bit of something here, a little bit of something there, and then you're going to get a taste of that. And then, yes, there may be days that you don't want to learn anything, but in general, you're going to be seeing the benefit of, of, of doing it a little bit every day. I, I do think though that being the bad cop once again, um, <laughs> I do think that there are people who change because there's something in them that um, that drives them to to you know do the workout, get the miles in, you know run and, and learn and whatnot. But there are other people who have to be told, hey, you know, unless you know you got a problem in your heart, you know, you gotta, you know, if you don't get into a better diet, if you don't you know exercise more. I mean, your heart won't get better. You know, your, your, your body won't get better. So I think, I, I don't know. I, I continue to think that there are people who feel it, that it's only when they have that crisis in front of them that they react. And, and, and otherwise, I don't think we would be in the place where we are today, at least, well, not right now, but the place where we were seven months ago when this pandemic started. You know, um, people like Bill Gates told everybody, you know, years ago, a pandemic is going to happen again. And we got to get ready. We weren't fully ready for that. So. Yeah. Cost benefit. I mean, you, you yeah. know, everything. And to a certain extent, this is the heart attack that, you know, prompts you to mm. start exercising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there have been tons of companies that I've spoken to where, you know, they kind of knew maybe they needed to have everything in the cloud and remote um, yeah. working possible. And, but it, it just, you know, that it was, a high cost and the benefit didn't seem to be really apparent. And this has been a wake up call for a lot of people and a lot of companies who are grappling with um, opportunities. I will say in in most, you know, larger companies that an HR in particular, oftentimes the C-suite and and senior managers have been, there's always somebody who's pushing, who's a catalyst, who's like trying to make things change. And so to a certain extent, this is a huge opportunity for them. And I do see HR leaders who are really, um, you know, taking advantage, right? They've often had these ideas about things they'd like to try even, that have not um, been met with a sense of urgency from their peers or higher ups. And so this is a real opportunity I hope people are taking advantage of. And then, you know, the other part of it is that it is hard. It is hard to move outside your comfort zone. And the best companies I see are really taking advantage of this time to communicate with their staff and their people and say things like, you know what, this is, this is actually really hard. And I'm a little bit scared, but I, as a leader, am trying to do this and let's all follow this and see how it goes. And I appreciate your dedication and, you know, let's all learn in real time. I mean, forget about like 
you know, L&D planned out for people, like being able to have access to the thought process of a leader in this time is yeah. priceless. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you're, you're making me think about the moment when this pandemic started, I was uh, uh, chatting with different HR leaders and organizations. And one of the things that I thought was going to be really, really critical was for their leaders to come forward and tell everybody that they did not have the answers to all the questions, that it was okay not knowing, it was okay feeling uh, you know, a high level of uncertainty because that's what everybody's going through. And none of them has ever been in, a, in anything like this before in the past, none of them. So, so I think this created a, an incredible opportunity for us, not only to be more human, but also to be able to leverage more on the collective, like you're saying, the collective and the community within the organization that may have an answer to a question that the leader can't respond because he or she does not have the answer uh, uh, anymore, right? Because of all, that's, of all that was happening. So I think this has been an incredible opportunity, like you're saying, to, um, to just show that thinking process, but also allow others to come forward and say, I have an idea, I have another question that can you know, uh, unveil new ideas. And, and that's how many organizations have operated recently. You know, it's uh, leverage, leveraging on their talent and, and, and unleashing that talent finally. I think, uh, like you're saying, you know, this is the heart attack that woke us up. And, and now we are, you know, we are, I think, I think, I'm hoping that we are seeing the value of working differently and doing things differently. So, so Jenna, let me ask you this. What does a person or an organization that is truly uh, doing their work to future-proof themselves, what, what do they look like? What, what, what do they do on a day-to-day -day basis to, to be future-proof? Well, oftentimes, I spent the last 20-plus years uh, with a corporate career in uh, innovation starting in 95 when people are asking, should I have a website? <laughs> so, you know, I feel like it's very similar um, to see how innovation and the, the innovation kind of curve has changed. Companies who are future-proofing are the ones that are looking at the drivers of things like technology, both inside and as a business model change. Um, globalization, demographics, and they're doing some um, discovery-driven planning. Mm -hmm. they're, they are constantly testing their assumptions. So they're not necessarily talking about the 10-year you know, plan that's set in stone. Mm -hmm. They are really thinking about where they want to go in the future in a, in a broad sort of, here's the lighthouse, here's the mission, this is where we want to go. And then they're taking um, those small bets to see whether or not the things that they think are possible and their assumptions about, you know, we could go all digital, um, we could never return to the office, we could, um, I'm thinking about what some of the folks are doing, we could turn our hotel into co-living space, whatever it is that they're thinking about. There's a lot of speculation. Um, they're doing those things yeah. and they're taking their team with them. So whereas innovation in the past has always been like that little lab over in the corner and Clayton Christensen, you know, always talked about protecting the innovators. Um, that has been become 
innovation that goes throughout the corporation with champions inside. And I feel like future proof is, is a bit like that. I don't think you need to be, you know, super techie or a Bitcoin bank or whatever to, to be future proof. I think that you need to be aware of the future to be thinking what might happen to be looking for signals now and to be constantly testing your assumptions across the board. I love that. And it's just keeping an eye a, a little bit further in the horizon, just a, a tiny bit. And, and one thing that at least to me in the world of HR is critical. And I tell HR people this all the time, they must, we must learn non-HR stuff because the world of HR is tiny and is the world of traditional HR is tiny and it's not what it's not what truly delivers the most amount of value for the organization it's just a transaction and that transaction can quickly be uh, automated and and then we we are left with nothing if that's what we had what we had done for a long period of time so so it's, you know, it's keeping an eye on the things that are happening, how they may be impacting the work of our organizations and the work of HR. So Jan, as we wrap up this conversation, got a couple of last questions for you. If you were to tell people one action, the very first action in their very first step in their journey to future-proof themselves, what would that action be? Well, it's perhaps self-serving, but I developed a, less, a list of 11 questions, 11 questions to prepare you for the future um, and put it on my website, dianawudavid.com. And it was because people, you know, the book was, I thought the book was a way for people to start. And they're like, no, no, chunk it down smaller. And it literally is 11 yes and, and no questions um, that shows you where you're not prepared and where yeah. you are. And, uh, you know, that is something I think it is something like I know where my industry is headed in 10 years and I have plans to grow with it. Something like that, you know, yes or no. If not, then you have some work to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I have three people that I can celebrate a professional win with speaking to the resources that you might have. And I think that those it's it's fairly comprehensive. I'm kind of proud of being able to look at that and. <laughs> And I do it myself. I'll go back to the future-proof checklist and say, how am I doing? And sometimes, you know, it, it leads me to the next step, which is yeah. um, often what we have in our future-proof course, which is like, okay, it's time to like relook at your values so that you can rearticulate your own, you know, unique perspective. Um, and so it is a practice though. It is not about like, do this, be set for life. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. very much about reflecting and moving forward. And um, I think that I feel grateful because I work with HR people all the time who bring me into companies to help their people future-proof and to start those practices. Because if people in the organization are doing that, then you know it's sort of a groundswell of empowerment yeah. Um, and resourcefulness that allows the organization as a whole to be very resilient. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, for everybody who is watching or listening to our podcast, I would definitely advise them to go to your website and check it out so that they can, they can begin the journey, but know that the journey does never end. It's, a, it's an ongoing process of going back to the list and, and, and checking it out, um, you know, every now and then to make sure that they are on the right path. 
Um, so my last question to you is, what are you the most excited and the most concerned about the future? Well, the most exciting thing that I am working on is um, I've partnered with an, an AI insights firm and they do natural language processing across 46 languages. And it's going to allow us to do pulse checks about the future of work oh, nice. that um, where people can kind of figure out where they are. Because it's one thing for you to sit down by yourself with your checklist or a friend and say, am I doing okay? But I really think that this allows people, you know, you end up at, in this beautiful cluster um, that I've analyzed for them and you can kind of see where you're going. Are other people concerned about this, et cetera? So of course I love the power of AI, machine learning, VR, XR. I write about it for Fast Company and Inc. But um, I love that the functionality of that. So that's something that I think will, A, I'm excited about it. What am I worried about? I'm worried that people will be worried <laughs> and that that will cause us to not move forward um, you know, in ways that we could. And I just think that people need to bond together to do that. And I think it's great that you've created a community that can, can support people in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing all your insights. And, and hopefully we're going to see a world like you're dreaming, you know, where people are better prepared, but also preparing constantly yeah. for, for the future. That is not a one it's not a one, one stop. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. So, um, so thank you so much for spending the time with me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking Nature podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.